In mid-20th century Bay City, Michigan, as my mom was growing up, my grandmother raised four children, was highly involved in her church, and was part of the NAACP. In the 1960s, as a teenager in Detroit, my dad participated in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, a civil rights group that started the 1960s firmly committed to nonviolence and radicalizing mid-decade. I found out after my dad's death that he not only participated in SNCC, he was a bodyguard for SNCC leader Stokely Carmichael. We're taught in school that the 1950s and 60s was the period of the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and Malcolm X, Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, then the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. But what doesn't make it into the textbooks is that the Civil Rights Movement started much, much earlier. There were 2,000 black elected officials during Reconstruction, most of whom fought against early efforts to restrict the freedoms of newly freed slaves in the South. There were women like Ida B. Wells, who drew attention to lynching in the South in the 1890s, which led to mobs of white Southerners destroying her equipment, running her out of Memphis, and threatening her life. There was academic and co-founder of the NAACP, W.E.B. Du Bois, who wrote about equality of black people in relation to white people, a controversial stance in the early 1900s. And there were many other people, including those we may never know in our lost to history, who laid the bricks for the work of Thurgood Marshall, and Medgar Evers, and King, and Malcolm X, and Stokely Carmichael, and Huey Newton. And my grandma, and later my dad, were building on decades of work done by those who came before them. We live in such an instant gratification society. Everything is quick, and technology facilitates that. Information is right at our fingertips at all times, from what's in our bank account, to the weather, to what's going on halfway across the world. We can order anything from our phones. We're no longer limited to pizza and Chinese food. It'll get to us in a day or two, some things in just hours or minutes. And all of that is convenient. But the bad thing about it is that it gives us the impression that what takes a lot of time is not worth doing. But people like my grandma, my dad, and those who sacrificed for equality and justice alongside them and before them knew that the most important things take time. And in a very dark period in our country, we need to remember that if we're to fix this country, which is beyond broken, we have to play the long game. I'm your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstirer Podcast. When the GOP chose to sit on their hands during the last year of Barack Obama's presidency, when Obama nominated Merrick Garland to replace Antony Scalia on the U.S. Supreme Court, little was done to pressure Mitch McConnell in the Senate to hold confirmation hearings. The thought among many Democrats was that it wouldn't matter anyway because Hillary Clinton would become president and the Republicans would eventually have to give in, which, as we all know, didn't happen that way. Donald Trump happened, and the Republicans gave us Neil Gorsuch, would not much fight from the Democrats. We should never take the future for granted. The Democrats were playing checkers, 
while the Republicans were playing three-dimensional chess. And these are the kinds of rulings we have as a result of failing to fight. The Supreme Court has just ruled on President Trump's travel ban for people from seven countries, most of them predominantly Muslim. By a five to four vote, the justices decided the president has the right to limit entry to the U.S. from those countries, overturning a lower court ruling against the ban. Supreme Court has ruled in favor of an Ohio policy to remove thousands of registered voters from its rolls if they haven't responded to a notice from state officials. Public employee labor unions lost a major case before the Supreme Court today when the conservative justices in the majority uh, ruled five to four, overruling a decision of theirs from 41 years ago. This is something the Supreme Court does rarely. It overturns its own precedents. Supreme Court has ruled in favor of an Ohio policy to remove thousands of registered voters from its rolls if they haven't responded to a notice from state officials. This is the reality of these three rulings. The Supreme Court has given the president a blank check to violate the religious freedom and human rights of those whose rights and freedoms are most in need of protection from the courts. That is why the ruling in Hawaii versus Trump is on the level of Dred Scott versus Sanford. In the Dred Scott decision in 1857, the court stated that the black man had no rights the white man was bound to respect. According to the Roberts Court in 2018, Muslims don't have rights either. Also, the ability to sustain unions, which provide living wages to many Americans, is in jeopardy due to Janus versus AFS-CME where the court scoffed at its own 40-year-long precedent. Meanwhile, the president, simply due to being president, is removed from any semblance of accountability for anything he does. And if the people want to make them accountable by voting them out, the state can arbitrarily take away their right to do so, especially if voters might have set out in the past, according to Husted versus A. Philip Randolph Institute. The U.S. Supreme Court has disregarded their own norms and have handed the GOP unchecked power and in so doing have abetted in the destruction of our democracy. And now, Justice Kennedy, who is conservative but has held a middle position in recent years, is retiring. Will Mitch McConnell respect the voters like he claimed he did during the Obama presidency and wait until the midterms to push through a new justice? One that would likely be extremely conservative? Nah. Civility got us here. Civility is bullshit. And those calling for civility, both Republicans and Democrats, are complicit. And let me tell you why. The problem with civility is that in the face of injustice, civility is simply servility. In Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail, he speaks to not only the 1960s, when the letter was written, but the spirit of it speaks to what is happening today. He writes, quote, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, 
I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom. Who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. I had hoped that the white moderate would understand that law and order exists for the purpose of establishing justice and that when they fail in this purpose they become the dangerously structured dams that block the flow of social progress. I had hoped that the white moderate would understand that the present tension in the South is a necessary phase of the transition from an obnoxious negative peace in which the Negro passively accepted his unjust plight to a substantive and positive peace in which all men will respect the dignity and worth of human personality. Actually, we who engage in nonviolent direct action are not the creators of tension. We merely bring to the surface the hidden tension that is already alive. We bring it out into the open, where it can be seen and dealt with, like a boil that can never be cured so long as it is covered up but must be opened with all its ugliness to the natural medicines of air and light. Injustice must be exposed with all the tension its exposure creates to the light of human conscience and the air of national opinion before it can be cured." Unquote. Let's be for real here. The idea that people choose to vote for Trump or for the GOP at this point because people to the left of them and I put it that way because there's not really a true left in America. People to the left of them call them out on their racism or xenophobia or homophobia or other types of bigotry they have chosen to make peace with in order to support this regime is a bold-faced lie. Because if people do not see Trump's rhetoric and executive overreach in pursuit of bigoted goals as a deal-breaker, if they are willing to excuse Trump's evil because, well, Obama did it too, then there's nothing people to the left of them could do or say one way or the other. Calls for the left to be civil are really asking for us to make conservatives feel better about their moral compromise, to be complicit in Trump supporters failing to take responsibility for their own beliefs and actions. So much for the party of personal responsibility. July is now here, and I want to let you know about a campaign Potstirer Podcast is taking part in this month called Hashtag Two Pods a Day. It aims to introduce podcast listeners to two independent podcasts each and every day for the entire month of July. The hope is to give visibility to some of the great indie podcasts that you probably haven't heard of. Follow on Twitter at Two Pods a Day so you can be introduced to cool indie podcasts daily on your Twitter feed. Hashtag two pods a day encourages you to listen more, listen indie. In the wake of the Red Hen incident, where a restaurant in Lexington, Virginia, refused to serve Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Congresswoman Maxine Waters said this, You have members of your cabinet uh, that have been booed out of restaurants. 
Trump on Twitter and calls for civility among both Republicans and establishment Democrats like Nancy Pelosi, which shows that the establishment Dems like Pelosi need to be dealt with eventually. Waters was accused of advocating violence. Some even insinuated that this type of rhetoric pushes voters into Trump's arms. But here's the thing. When you look at what Waters actually said, not the deliberate misinterpretation by our politicians and media pundits, she is not wrong, and the tension it has created is very similar to the tension 50 or 60 years ago that King writes about in his letter. He wrote, quote, In your statement, you assert that our actions, even though peaceful, must be condemned because they precipitate violence. But is this a logical assertion? Isn't this like condemning a robbed man because his possession of money precipitated the evil act of robbery? Isn't this like condemning Socrates because his unswerving commitment to truth and his philosophical inquiries precipitated the act by the misguided populace in which they made him drink hemlock? Isn't this like condemning Jesus because his unique God consciousness and never ceasing devotion to God's will precipitated the evil act of crucifixion? We must come to see that as the federal courts have consistently affirmed, it is wrong to urge an individual to cease his efforts to gain his basic constitutional rights because the quest may precipitate violence. Society must protect the robbed and punish the robber. Unquote. So let's consider what Waters actually said. Waters did not call for violence. If the right decides to escalate this into violence, that is on them, not the resistance. Trump has consistently called for violence. Knock the crap out of him. I'd like to punch him in the face. Would have done well, but I would have been boom, boom, boom. I'll beat that. I don't know if I'll do the fighting myself or if other people will. Maybe he should have been roughed up because it was absolutely disgusting what he was doing. If you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the crap out of him, would you? Seriously. I'd like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. 
Try not to hurt him. If you do, I'll defend you in court. Don't worry about it. In the good old days, this doesn't happen because they used to treat them very, very rough. And when they protested once, you know, they would not do it again so easily. And it's given comfort to violent neo-Nazis that maim and kill. Very fine people on both sides. The vast majority of terror attacks in this country come from right-wing extremists and are much less likely to be prevented than the exotic terror that everyone's scared about. So let's not talk about escalation by the left, because the right is already there. Now, while it might be true that confronting politicians on the street won't convince more voters to shift away from Trump, the idea that it will move them into Trump's camp is a lie designed to keep those who are destroying our country comfortable. Forcing the officials who have lied and misled our country into its democratic crisis to face what they have perpetuated is not pushing voters into Trump's arms. Those who decide right at this moment to support Donald Trump are choosing to embrace or at least tolerate the bigoted statements from Trump, the calls to violence from Trump, and the fact he has no problem with white supremacist terror. If these issues are not deal breakers for you, there is nothing Democrats, moderates, or liberals can do either way to change your mind. Using public shaming of our political leaders to excuse your support for Trump and his policies is a weak, pathetic excuse. So if you're supporting Trump after all this, own your support for dear leader and all that comes with it, and don't expect the rest of us to make your conscience feel better about it. We are now beyond mere differences of opinion between Republicans and Democrats. We are beyond equivocation. We're beyond appeals to moderation. We are well beyond both sides are equally bad. We are now in the territory of our right-wing Republican government inflicting unjust suffering on others due to their country of origin or what they believe without any immediate means within the system of holding them accountable. Not only that, the GOP is fighting to insulate themselves from further accountability by making it harder for people to vote meaning harder to vote them out of office. See, this is what we're looking at. Our Congress members no longer hold town halls. They no longer return phone calls or answer letters. They arrest people who go to their local offices looking for answers. The federal executive has bought off the media with access for the price of truth-telling. The government has decided they have nothing to lose, so why even pretend to listen to the American people? Why even keep going with the charade? Waters is not talking about breaking the law. She is not talking about violence. She is talking about making the people responsible for this situation just a little bit uncomfortable, holding them accountable for their actions by we the people. Too many people's lives are at stake to worry about civility. If you're more worried about being civil, than fighting for the lives of those affected the most by the unjust and evil policies of this administration and government, you are part of the problem. King had one more thing to say in the letter from a Birmingham jail that I think is important for us in 2018 to take to heart. Quote, Time itself is neutral. It can be used either destructively or constructively. 
More and more I feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than have the people of goodwill. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God, and without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively, in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. Now is the time to make real the promise of democracy and transform our pending national elegy into a creative psalm of brotherhood. Now is the time to lift our national policy from the quicksand of racial injustice to the solid rock of human dignity. Unquote. The time to fight was yesterday, but do not lose hope. It is never too late. Even if Trump pushes the court more conservative, it is never too late. Even if Trump doesn't get impeached, it is never too late. Here's the thing we got to remember. In the 1960s, 70s, 80s, with a much more liberal court than today, conservatives didn't give up on their designs for America. All of these conservative victories that they're enjoying now were many, many decades in the making. It took them many, many years and many election cycles, small defeats and small victories, but they never gave up. We shouldn't give up either. If you haven't gotten into this fight, start now. Call and write your political officials. If you've been doing that, continue to do so. Both Republicans and Democrats. The Democrats need to know we're holding them accountable too. Find rallies, demonstrations, and marches in your area. If there aren't any in your area, organize them. Let's make sure, in a legal, nonviolent way, that politicians and other public figures giving these people cover stay uncomfortable. We need to protest while it's still legal, because if the Supreme Court has no respect for precedent and constitutional norms, they aren't going to respect the right to peacefully protest. Don't forget that protest is meant to be uncomfortable for the targets. Yes, we should make it a top priority to vote in November. We need to be pragmatic when we vote. We need to be strategic and make sure the perfect is not the enemy of the good. But before November, we need to watch to make sure we stay registered, since, just to remind you, states can legally purge voters, co-signed by the U.S. Supreme Court. If you're not registered, register right now. If you're not sure if you're registered, check and then register right now. If you're definitely registered, check online periodically, starting right now, to make sure you haven't been struck from the rolls. If you're a convicted felon, check with your state to see if you can vote, and if so, register. Even if you don't think you can, check. Felons can vote in some states, and recently, states such as Louisiana have restored voting rights to freed felons who have served their time. I'll have a link with state-by-state -state regulations regarding felons voting in the show notes, but check with your state for more specifics. While you're working on getting and staying registered to vote, volunteer to get others registered. The time is now, and make sure that you and everyone else goes out to vote in November and beyond. The right stays ready. That's why Gorsuch is on the court instead of Garland. We need to stop worrying about being civil 
and compliant and start being strategic. And we have to be more ready than they are come November and every other election afterwards. Our democracy, our future is worth fighting for. So let's dig in so we can go the distance. Thanks so much for listening to Potstirer Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button in iTunes or click Share This Show in Stitcher to share with your friends. Visit potstirrerpodcast.com for all things Potstirer Podcast. Also, would you like to do more to support this show or the other excellent shows on the Flying Machine Network? If you're so inclined, please donate to the Flying Machine Network Patreon at www.patreon.com slash flyingmachine. For just $1 a month, you'll become one of our mechanics. You can get a shout out from the show of your choice, receive our monthly newsletter, and more. And at our pilot level, you get everything at the mechanic level, plus you'll be able to listen to the APOC Radio podcast collection with Malcolm and Justin, and you'll receive monthly bonus episodes of all the shows on the network, including this one. In the bonus episode of Potstirer Podcast this month, I give my perspective on the Masterpiece case, the one about the cake baker that refused to bake a cake for a same-sex couple in Colorado that the U.S. Supreme Court ruled on just weeks ago. Become a pilot and check that out. Really, your support through Patreon will allow us here at the Flying Machine Network to produce more wonderful content for you, our listeners and friends. And if you can't donate right now, that's totally cool. Keep listening to our shows. Go to flyingmachine.network to see a list of all our shows. Subscribe to our shows if you haven't already. And share with your friends. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free. I give you... 